Who's joyful today, huh? That's good. It's good that we're joyful. I was thinking this morning, I, uh, Jesus was the most joyful person to ever walk on this earth. You know? like oh, And we have this tendency to be so serious all the time as the church. You know, well, I, I remember uh, growing up, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but I was just thinking about it this morning, and it's good. And, and as a kid, when I was in high school, like none of my friends ever wanted to come to church because they said church is boring and church isn't fun. And I was like, that's so dumb. Cause like Jesus is the most joyful person to have ever walked on this earth. Right? So this morning I'm on a walk. I was gone this week on a little vacation. I was on a walk. I knew I was preaching tonight, so I like put my game face on, got all serious, like, all right, I gotta get serious, gotta get in the, the preaching zone. And I'm I'm like walking, like listening to my Bible, like I gotta put my serious face on for preaching tonight. And and like all of a sudden, like in my spirit, I just like heard this little giggle. <laughs> and I was like, what? I like literally like looked behind me, it was like I was like, then I heard the giggle again, and, and it was the Lord. He's like, why are you being so serious? He's like, I'm happy. Like, you don't need to strive to enter into my presence today, AJ. Like, I'm with you. And so, now, so I started thinking about John 15 and John 17, which is the very end of Jesus' life. Uh, he's about to go, like, go to the cross that very next day. It's the last words that he could ever that he's ever going to say to his disciples that they know about. And he's communicating to them in John 15, abide in me, stay in me, remain in me, all these things. And he says, I tell you these things so that your joy may overflow. So I think it's fascinating that the last words, and then in John 17, he prays that that his joy would be made known in his people. Right, And so Jesus, the very last thing he did, he wasn't concerned about how many people they were going to raise from the dead. He wasn't concerned about how many mouths they were going to feed. He's talking to his, his best friends and he's concerned about their joy. And so we have to take more seriously joy, amen? <laughs> Because Jesus is joyful and he's happy and he's like delighted to be with you each and every day. And if Jesus is concerned about his disciples' joy in his very last moments, I mean, I'm trying to think, like, if it's my very last moments on earth, like, I'm probably going to be like, yo, honey, friends, like here's the will, here's all the stuff, like, make sure you're nice to people. Jesus is like, I want to make priority that you are joyful. So here are the things you do so you can be joyful all the days of your life. Stay and remain and abide in me. And that is how you will have joy. Amen? Look at your neighbor and say, you look mighty priestly today. Look at your other neighbor and say, I've never seen a priest like you before. Look at the person behind you and say, where's your priestly necktie? (laughs) All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this journey that you're taking us on as a church. I thank you, Lord, that you are concerned about our joy and that you care about your people and that you love your people so much that you would tell us how to live a life of abounding joy. And so, Lord, before we enter in tonight, we just repent for our seriousness. We repent for our striving. We repent for all the ways that we overcomplicate the gospel. And we say, God, it is a joy to be in your house tonight. It is a joy to be in your presence We love you and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, I'm excited for tonight. How many of you just been like loving, loving the the sermons Jordan's been preaching lately, huh? He is like such a gift to our house. I feel like I tell him every week, dude, you are the best preacher I've ever heard in my life. 
He's such a gift. Um, but we're, I'm just going to jump on kind of where Jordan's been. I feel like we're going to stay here for a while of, of talking about what does it mean to be a priest? What does it mean to be one who, who, who is set apart and lives a priestly life? And how freeing and beautiful is it to know that like we are all priests, amen? Like we are all called to live and move and minister to the heart of the Lord. And, and, and what we've learned so far in the series is that like this is God's heart for his people in the, in the purest form. God's heart for his people since the beginning of creation is that we would be a kingdom and we would be a people of priests who live to love him and love others. That is the call of our life. That is the call of what Jesus did. And we see it all throughout the Old Testament. We see it in Adam and Eve. And this whole thing gets messed up when sin enters the world. And yet even when sin enters the world, what we read in the Old Testament is God is just continually trying to get his people to be a priest and to be a people who love him and minister to him and cultivate life with him. And, and this is such his desire. And, and what we see throughout Israel is that they, they continually rebel and rebel and rebel. They want a king. They want all this stuff. And, and God so wants to show the people of Israel what it means to be priests. That he set aside this little tribe called the tribe of Levi to, to show the rest of Israel what his actual intentions were for all 12 tribes of Israel. And he says, in this one tribe, all these other tribes, here's your inheritance, here's all your things. But in this one tribe, in the, in the tribe of Levi, you are set apart to minister to me, to love me, to live this priestly life, and your inheritance is me. That's been his heart. That is his desire. This is why... This is what he longs for. If you, if you cut open Jesus' heart, my, my friend Scott always says, like, if you cut open Jesus' heart and looks inside, what his, the passion of his heart is to be with his people. This whole thing is just a big love story of God trying to get into humans' hearts and for human hearts to love their God back. This is why... David was a man after, his, after God's own heart. He was a man after God's own heart because he was a priestly king. He was a, he was a, he was a king who looked to love God before he loved the people, but it was from loving God he loved the people. And King Saul, what got him in trouble is he became the people's king. You can, you can read it, and I think it's, it's First Samuel. It said that, that, that Saul was concerned about the people, and, and it was because he was concerned about the people that he disobeyed what Samuel prophesied and told him to do. And so we are like, this whole book is just Jesus and God trying to figure out how do I get... How do I get my people, how do I get my people to be a kingdom of priests, okay? This is his whole heart, and, and we see in Exodus 19, right? That I, this is when Moses is up on Mount Sinai, and it's the whole Ten Commandments ordeal. And, and God is looking, and he's meeting with Moses after he's delivered the Israelites from, from uh, Egypt. And he's looking at him, and he says, if you obey my commands, and you listen to my voice you shall be to me a kingdom of priests a chosen people of my special possession Exodus 19 is one of the greatest encounters in the whole Bible where it's God's just saying like if you just obey if you just listen to my voice then you will be a kingdom of priests you shall be a kingdom of priests and what we read throughout the rest of the book is just this toss and turning of the people of Israel not fully getting it. And we see a couple times throughout the Old Testament where, where a writer will say, Israel shall be to me a people of priests. But it is not until sec, uh, 1 Peter 2 where the tides have turned and no longer is the language, you shall be a kingdom of priests. The language that Peter uses is you are a kingdom of priests. You are 
a chosen people. You are living stones being built into a temple because you're the cornerstone that has been rejected. You, so what Peter's doing is he's, he's speaking identity over the church. He's saying it's not like in the Old Testament, it was if you did these things, if you obey my voice, if you do this, you will be a kingdom of priests. But in Second Peter, it's such a radical statement. First Peter, I'm sorry, First Peter 2. It's such a radical statement. Peter's like, something has happened. Where now God lives inside of man. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. That you are a chosen people, a kingdom of priests. And this isn't just the Jewish people. Now, all those who choose to listen and lay down their lives for this one, you are a special people chosen and anointed by God. He's releasing who they are over them. Isn't that great news? Like this is the beauty of Jesus because we human beings failed at being priests our whole lives. And so God said, here's a way. Here's a way. I'm going to put my sin, I'm going to put all of sin on my son. All the sin of humanity on my son. And now you don't need to perform and you don't need to... You perform your way into priesthood. I created a way for you to be a living stone being built into a temple to host the king of glory. Thank you, Jesus. Can we all say thank you, Jesus? Isn't that just the greatest thing? Because we failed. <laughs> we failed so bad. But Jesus, you know, Jesus took my sin and he took your sin. We should not be priests and special people getting to co-labor and co-reign and cultivate and make beautiful things with God. But he made a way. He made a way when there was no way. And so God, we give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. This is his heart, and, and I'm just going to read a little bit of, G, of, of John 17. How many, do you know what John 17 is? John 17 is, is called the high priestly prayer. Uh, when you ever run out of things to pray about or good ideas, to just to pray John 17 because it's Jesus' prayer and his prayers probably get answered a lot more than mine, you know? So if you're ever struggling praying, you know, just read John, John 17. But what we begin to hear in John 17 is Jesus' heart for humanity and his heart for his people. And I'm going to start in... In verse 9, he says, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those who you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except for the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them, your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for, those, and for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Now buckle up, this is Jesus' prayer for you and me in particular in his last days. I do not pray for these alone. He was praying for his disciples. 
but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you have gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved me and loved them as you have loved me. Listen to this. Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it. That the love which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus' prayer is, is so simple and beautiful. But he's praying that we would become priests, that we would be one in him and one together, beholding his glory. He prays that we would daily be with him where he is, beholding his glory, captivated by his beauty. And he also prays that we would not depart from the world, which I love that, because we're not just supposed to get lost in beholding his beauty. We're supposed to be so transformed by his beauty that then we go into the world and shine bright and cultivate and plant seed and bring life everywhere we go. I love that, Jesus. It's like, hey, Father, I know you're taking me, but don't take them yet. They got work to do. I love that. He... He's praying that, that we would be a people of his voice, is what Jesus is praying. Is that, is that the people that would come after, the resur- after his resurrection would be ones who are set apart, ones who, who live as priests and minister to him, love him, hear his voice, and respond accordingly. Amen? Amen. And so I think something that's really important as we engage the next however long we we go on this sermon series. I think one of the things that's really important to keep in the front of our mind as as we are engaging in this conversation is, is becoming a priest is not something that we are going to strive for or become. Um, becoming a priest isn't something that you earn. Becoming a, a, a priest isn't something that you can strive for or become. A, a priest is simply who you already are. So you can't become somebody, you, you can't strive to become somebody you already are. You already are that thing. You know, striving to become a priest, like, I think it could be really, really easy in these sermons um, to walk away saying, if I just pray more, if I just have a quiet time like, like AJ or, 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 or worship like Jordan, or if I, just, if I just try harder, I'll become a priest. But you already are a priest. And so this life that we're living is not a life of trying to attain priesthood. A life attaining priesthood is religion. A life trying to become a priest is performing to be something you already are, which is not attractive. And people don't want to be religious. They want to be in relationship. And so... When, we, when we're having these conversations, we're, 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 we're bringing up spiritual disciplines and we're bringing up worship and, and prayer in and, and, and quiet time, not so that we can attain priesthood, but because we are learning what it means to be discipled in the spirit. You see, we still live in this natural and spirit world. 
At least that's how we see it. In this book, in this day, in Eastern world, they didn't see, you know, they didn't see there's the world and then there's the spirit realm. They saw it all as this one cohesive, big, massive story where the spirit world and the physical realm are all going in at one time. And, and we as a people are not on this journey to attain anything, but we're learning what it means to walk in the spirit, to awaken our own like physical self to the reality of our priesthood. Does that make sense? So, so Romans 8... I, how many of you love Romans 8? Oh, it's so juicy. Look at your neighbor and say, Romans 8 is juicy. It's so delicious. So Paul in Romans 8, oh, it's so good. It's so good. I've read it so much this last few weeks. Because it's making my spirit come alive. Because Paul is writing in Romans 8, he says, you, you are not of the flesh, you are of the spirit. So set your minds on things of the spirit and do not set your minds on things of the flesh. For if you set your minds on things of the flesh, you will die. But if you set your mind on things of the spirit, you will live and have life in peace. And then you move on to one of the goatest parts of the whole Bible where he says oh this is so good you have not been given the spirit of fear you have been given the spirit of adoption in which you cry Abba Father how many of you have heard that before okay the next part is the best part, and I never even know it until like three weeks ago. You've not been given the spirit of fear. You've been given the spirit of adoption. And then it says, the spirit of God bears witness to our spirit that we are sons. You can't convince yourself that you're a son or you're a priest. The Spirit of God has to bear witness to your spirit that you're a son. And if you're a son, you're a priest. And if you're a priest, you're a son. And so we try really hard to try and convince ourselves of our identity. But what we need is to get into the Spirit. So Paul is saying to the people in Rome, do not think about worldly things. If you want to know who you are, dwell on the things of God. And if you dwell on the things of God, he's going to, the spirit of God is going to collide with your spirit and you're going to not become a child. The spirit of God is going to bear witness and reveal and awaken to you your identity as a child. How much, how freeing is it to know that the journey we're going on is not a journey of God trying to, uh, we don't have to perform our way into identity, that we're on just this big, long, lovely journey of awakening our lives, ourselves to who we already are. Amen. I have no idea where I am. Oh, yeah. So the tension of this whole thing is that we are perfectly his and sinless and blameless and priest and, and children and healed and delivered and redeemed all in the spirit. All in this, this realm in the spirit, right? Problem is, we live in this really natural world. Am I right? I don't know about you, but you know the song, I'm waking up to heaven, I'm waking up to you, you alone, you and you alone. I don't wake up feeling like I'm in heaven. <laughs> I wake up and my first thing is, why the heck do alarms exist? 
I'm, I'm not happy, I'm frustrated, and I'm like aware of my body hurting. I'm aware of, oh, I have to work out. I don't like working out. Like, I don't wake up to heaven. Anyone wake up to heaven? Not me. I think heaven's always nighttime. It's always nighttime. Never, never morning. Morning is not heaven at all. Who's the night? Who's night owls? Oh, you're highly favored by God. <laughs> highly, highly favored. Never trust a morning person. <laughs> just, just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. I promise you I'm kidding. So, so we live in this very natural world, yet our, 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 and, and, and still live in this tension of the spirit and, and or at least our Western mind creates tension. This is better. Our Western mind creates tension between the spirit realm and waking up to heaven. Right? Our, 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 our mental map is like when we, we, we think of like this natural world is different and it's like, Someday when I'm in heaven, I'll be a child of God. Someday in heaven, I'll be a priest. Some, but that's not the case. You already are. And actually what we see all throughout the Bible is the Spirit of God invading very natural, flesh, fleshy people and transforming them in the Spirit and in the natural at the very same time. And our whole life is this journey, and, and I just want freedom to break out right now, that you already are a priest, and your whole story that God is writing in your heart is, is just a story of trying to awaken you to your identity as a priest and as a lover of him. All the things, all the trials, all the favors, all the ups, all the downs are all, that's God discipling you in the spirit, even though it looks really natural. God discipled David in a very, very natural, normal job in that time as a shepherd on a hill. A normal circumstance, a, a earthly job where he's having to kill lions and, you know, crazy things and protect his sheep and, you know, hurt them. I don't know what shepherds do, but it's like a normal job, but it's, it's in that very natural thing. It's not that David was some special prophetic person. It's that God is discipling all of us in the spirit through our story and through our testimony. This is Moses. Moses was on a walk. As he's on a walk, the burning bush happens. He was just normally going on a walk and that happens. God discipled Paul in prison through very normal things. That's discipling in the spirit. And so I, I think in order to become a priest, we, we can't see, we can't do this like world natural verse spirit. It's like all of it, God is communicating to us that he loves us. And all the, all the, the our whole walk with God is him awakening that first love song in us. And I felt like tonight, um, yeah, well, I'll just say this. He, he uses the sufferings and the favors in the natural to disciple us in the spirit. Amen? And so I felt like tonight, I haven't done this before, um, but I, I've, or a long time, I felt like God just wanted me to share my testimony uh, with you all tonight. Um, testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And uh, I, my prayer, and honestly, this idea happened last week. As Jordan was testifying of all the things that he's done in his life, God has done in his life, in the garden with him, all of a sudden, I began to have like revelation on things that God has done in me in the past. 
because testimony is the spirit of prophecy. So I don't, and just kind of pre-warning, my story is, an, it's an intense story and it's my story and it's a story of, of what Jesus did in me. But my prayer is that as I testify to what Jesus did in me, that it actually unlocks and breaks something out in the room for you to be able to see God at work in your life right now that you might be missing because the enemy is trying to lie to you and keep you hidden. This is why Jesus says I, I, in John 17, I don't pray that they leave the, the world. I pray that you silence the voice of the enemy. Because the enemy is trying to say you're suffering for suffering's sake because we live in a fallen world. <laughs> but Jesus is doing something in the midst of all of you right now. And, I, and, and it's so easy for, for us to, to tune the voice of God out and accept the spirit of fear and slavery that Paul talks about in Romans 8. But my prayer tonight is as I share my story, as I share my testimony, that it would, that freedom would break out in the room tonight because I am like so ecstatic. I could cry at any second thinking about all the things that God has done in my life. So is that okay if I share with you a little bit? So uh, I, I grew up in, in Orange County, California, in an amazing, wonderful uh, Christian home with two parents that like loved me so well. Um, all the days of my life, I've loved God. I, I can't explain it. My only guess is that I have a godmother who's sitting right there, Tanti. Tanti, can you stand up? I've wanted to do this so long. Can you stand up, Tanti? This woman, this woman has, has prayed for me um, every single day of my life. And you'll hear why it's so important. But, but as a kid, um, I have just like, I adored Jesus. I loved him. I'd always had a relationship as an early kid where I could hear his voice. Um, and I, I believe so much of that is because I had two amazing parents and a godmother who, you guys, this is a tangent, but who cares? I'm, this is fun. I grew up in a conservative home. A traditional home where I didn't go to a charismatic church, but my auntie's charismatic. She just moved here. Praise God. And, and she like, she, there's, my mom would tell me that she'd like lay her hands and speak in tongues over me while I was in the womb. And my dad got all uncomfortable with it. And so every time my parents went out of town, Tanty would take me to the, all the charismatic churches as a little one, two-year-old and have the pastors, she'd wait to the very end and have the pastors lay hands on me and impart all that they had to me because she saw it call me. Is that, that, you all need a Tanty. <laughs> And so I just like, I loved God my whole life. And then uh, I had a couple, like what I would now call prophetic experiences uh, when I was younger. Uh, and in fifth grade, uh, I, I was standing on stage at Mariner's Christian School where you had to wear uniforms and ugh, all this stuff I don't like. <laughs> kind of sit and stand vibes, that whole thing, you know? If that's your thing, great, not my thing. And I just learned how to play guitar, and I was standing on stage, and, uh, and it was the, whole, the whole school, it was a whole school chapel. And I remember um, I started, started playing guitar, and, and you know, it's, already, it's middle schoolers, right? They're all staring like, what in the world is happening right now? And, and I remember in the middle of worship, like this thing came over me that I would now call the Spirit of God where I completely lost it. And I began dancing with like all my might. And I, I remember, I just learned guitar and I was like, I remember like, the, like something coming over me where I got fully undignified in front of this whole thing. And I'm like going like this and all this crazy stuff. And, and I remember in the midst of it, I'm, I'm, I'm like worshiping and I mean, everyone's just like this. And, and I'm fourth, fifth grade. I can't remember exactly. And, and I remember it was just the most freedom and like ecstasy and joy that I'd ever experienced in my life. And, and I remember seeing eighth graders sitting in the front pointing at me and mocking me and making fun of me and laughing at me. And um, in that moment, I was like so fixated on God that it didn't matter. And then... 
I came to, worship ended, and I remember there's five boys sitting up in the left. My wife doesn't even know the story. Sitting in the front, and they were pointing at me, laughing, making fun of me, and I remember just being humiliated. Little, little, little boy, and I ran into the bathroom, and I started crying, and I was like, God, I will never, ever do that ever again. And I just remember the voice of God came and cut and said, you did that for me. Thank you, AJ. So here I am, like a fourth grader, fifth grader, and God is, his voice is cutting through, silencing the voice of man. So grateful. A couple years later, I remember I was, I was off at this church camp, and it was the only time I would say I've ever heard the audible voice of God where he spoke to me that I was going to be a pastor someday. I had no idea what it meant, but I was like, great, sign me up. And, and you know, when God speaks, you just kind of, okay, here we go. And, and so childhood was amazing. And then essentially yeah, when I got to, to like later middle school, seventh, eighth grade years of my life, uh, just everything like turned for the worst. Um, my, my parents were like always super involved in church and my dad was just like an amazing man, amazing man who, who like always paid for like the single mom's kids to go to private Christian school. Like just parents were the real deal. But before my parents got married, they were both alcoholics and they made a decision that they weren't going to ever drink. Uh, well, they started drinking and, and when I was about seventh grade and People ask me, you know, when they hear all the things that happen, like, AJ, there had to be some warnings. There had to be some signs. You know, as a kid, I couldn't see them. As a kid, all I knew is that my family was perfect and amazing. And all of a sudden, the gates of hell unlocked and came over my family. And and it turned from, like, my family was the place where Bible studies were happening uh, to, like, child protective services showing up at our house. Uh, threatening to take my siblings away because the dynamic, you know, of what was taking on in the home was so bad. Um, police would come often, and it just went from glory to not glory, like really quick, really bad. As an eighth grader, I remember like my dad being so drunk that that he couldn't uh, operate to where I was. I hit puberty young, and so. I, I remember I had to like drive my dad home like everywhere when I was in eighth grade because I was so embarrassed because my, my family that was this good Christian family all of a sudden had just like, Phew. and so anyways, we get to, we get to high school. Eventually my parents, you know, they've separated, got back together, separated, got back together. And, and finally when I was in high school, um, they decided to get divorced. And, and when my parents got divorced, I, I absolutely got so angry and mad at God. Uh, just like everything inside of me just was disgusted at even the thought of God, to be honest with you. Um, I, I, was, I had no idea how something could switch and change so quick. Um, now I know alcohol can do crazy things. And, and so I remember just being so mad. I put all my identity in sports and athlete and all this stuff. And, and I got so mad and I started doing the same things that my parents did. I started 14, 15 years old, just started getting absolutely hammered, doing all, all bunch of crazy, terrible, 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 terrible things. And that voice that I knew had spoken to me earlier on in my childhood had all of a sudden been silenced and I couldn't hear it anymore. I could not hear the voice of God. And I remember uh, one day, my freshman year of high school, my best friend Brent looked at me and he said, AJ, if you keep drinking, you will become just like your parents. And I remember when he spoke that to me, like it pierced my heart, like it was that voice when I was a child that was like protected me. And I remember that day I said, okay, like... I, I do not want to become like my parents. And so I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to stop hurting people. And, and I lived the rest of my high school days uh, going to church all the time. Uh, 
I, I plugged myself into youth group over and over and over again. I met with every pastor and, and Brent's family like really took me in and nurtured me and loved me and cared for me when I was just like fully depressed. I was addicted to sleeping pills. It was just not good. Um, it was just not good. But I remember in those high school years, uh, specifically my sophomore, junior, and se- senior year, I, I knew the only safe place I could go was the house of God or a home that represented the house of God. I couldn't hear that voice that like I knew so well as a child, but what I did know was the love from a mother and a father from my best friend Brent's family. And it was like in, I can now look at like my high school years, even though that voice was silenced and I was still angry and pretty bitter at God. I remember God so loved me that he gave me the church to love me and care for me. And this broken boy who was so scared to go home was loved and nurtured and cared for. And God was building a priestly identity in me for loving his house as a high school boy. We're like, I wanted to run and I still was mad at God, but I knew that the love of his people would heal my heart And every Christmas where I didn't want to be home, somebody in the church would love this broken, depressed, addicted to sleeping pills boy and love me to life. I can now say God was developing me as a priest by making me love the house of God. And so then I go transition to college and I'm leaving that which has been Safe externally, not safe internally in my own home. And I remember by the time I was at college, I I was doing all the things that the pastor said. And this is what my pastor said. And and he said, don't do, don't have sex, don't do drugs and don't drink alcohol and everything's going to be good. And so I listened to the pastors. I didn't have sex, didn't do drugs, stopped drinking alcohol and things still weren't good. You know, they just weren't, they just I was alive, praise God, and so I used to be mad at my pastors for telling me that. Now I'm thankful because I probably would be dead. Can you imagine me drunk? Not a good thing. (laughs) At all. Uh, I'm not going on tangent. Okay. Aren't you proud of me? (laughs) And so here we are. I'm at college. I'm, I'm heading to Point Loma, and I am lifeless. Uh, I would say I am a, a walking, living depression. <laughs> uh, still angry, still bitter, still doing stupid things, mostly making good choices. But I remember going to college where I was out of the home and, and everything started shifting. I, I remember I was so depressed and like I, careful to say, but close to suicidal And I remember going to college and being like, God, uh, you got one more chance with me. Like, when I read the Bible and I read, I'm not saying this is the right thing, but this is what I said. I I remember reading the Bible and being like, God, if you could touch all of these people who seem so miserable and give them life, I know you can give me life. And I became absolutely possessed with getting a touch from God. Otherwise, I didn't want to live anymore because I was just so depressed. And so I'd just wake up, wake up and pray, wake up and pray, wake up and pray. And the only, because that voice that I had known had gone silent for like five, six years of my life. And, and I just remember praying and crying out. And this is when I met Riley and this is when I met Jordan and all those guys. And I just cry out, God, if you could touch David, like you could touch me, if you could, if you could heal and forgive Peter, you can forgive me. And I, I just would wake up at five in the morning and pray and pray and pray and pray and nothing, nothing, nothing. And then one night I was, me and Riley were praying through the night and I, I was in that prayer room at Prescott, prayer chapel. And I said, God, God, 
If you could touch those people, I know you can touch me. I know you can heal me. I'm so over being depressed. I'm so over being lifeless. I'm so sick and tired of being sick and tired. I just want a touch from you. That touch that touched me as a fourth grade boy and a sixth grade boy. I just want you to touch me. Many of you ever been there where you're just desperate for God to touch you? And it's just crying. God, touch me. And I hear that voice that I, I hadn't heard for so long. It came back and it said, AJ, if you want me to touch you, I need you to become like me. And I didn't know what that meant. And I said, Jesus, what does that mean? And he said, I need you to forgive those who have hurt you. Bitterness and resentment have held back from, from you being able to hear my voice. I've been trying to speak. But unforgiveness, unforgiveness in your heart has clogged your ears to what I've been trying to speak to you, my boy. And so I looked at Riley. I said, Riley, I need to forgive my mom and my dad. And he sat there for like three hours. I forgive you for this. He was like saw like a ghost by the end of it and at the end of like forgiving my mom and forgiving my dad for the last thing all I know is the spirit of God came crashing in that room touched my heart and I laughed uncontrollably for about an hour and a half and all I heard God say is I will use you man of joy I will use you man of joy I will use you man of joy And every single, and I remember him saying this, in every single area of pain, I will heal. And I knew in that moment I was on a journey where God was going to, I knew, I don't think this is always the story, but I knew that God was going to immediately start using me. And I also knew I had a long journey ahead of me of healing in my heart. Long story short, I started leading different ministries right away. I was totally not in the place to be leading ministries. But like God would just start doing crazy things. And the favor began to came. And that voice that I knew as a kid started to listen, started to disciple me, started to tell me sin that I needed to repent of, started discipling me in the spirit using my natural circumstances. So I'm like... You're, I am such a faith guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, any of you just like faith people? Like, you see a mountain, you're like, move it, mustard seed, give me faith. Like, I was so charged because God just hit me. He answered my prayer. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, he's truly the God of grace and mercy. Like, he touched me. He touched me like he did Abraham and Moses. I saw no difference between them, me and them. I was like, you, you touched me. And so I get all this faith built up in me. And people start listening to me when I'm talking. I'm like, wow, this is kind of cool. People ignored me and pointed at me and made fun of me for so long. It's kind of cool when people are listening. And, and people started seeing a call in my life. And I got invited to come help plant a church in Orange County. And I came a pastor way too young. And... God started using me and things started beginning to happen. And I remember God asked me to leave Point Loma to come be discipled by Becky and Roger, who are my last pastors. And I really didn't want to do it, but I did. And I went home thinking that I'm going to go home and my parents are going to get back together and miracles are going to start breaking out everywhere I go. And I was just filled with faith. I just got touched with God. You know, and so I'm like, yes, Lord, I'll lay down Point Loma and I will go home and live with my stinking parents because I have faith that you are going to heal and reconcile my family. And so I go home, I'm ready to go. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm just charged up. And I, all I can say for the sake of time is all of that didn't happen. In fact, everything in my life got 10 times worse than it was before. Um, 
My dad got remarried. The lady was absolutely crazy. Love her. But there's crazy people in this world. Am I right? Maybe that's wrong to say. But like, if we don't think there's crazy people in this world, we're not thinking clearly. But love. My dad got remarried. All my friends are down in San Diego. I'm living in this home at a not very charismatic church, which was very hard for me. And I knew, though, that I was exactly in the center of God's heart and his plan for my life. And as I was there, um, my dad got Alzheimer's at 52, millions of dollars in debt with the government. Stepmom left him because of it. And so here I am, filled with faith for reconciliation, family stuff, all that. And all I know is that miracles weren't happening in my ministry. Miracles weren't happening in my home life. And I knew my dad wasn't going to live much longer. My stepmom had left, who I love and bless. And I'm in charge of like being the, the head of the household. And, you know, nothing that I actually prayed for happened. Uh, and I remember that whole time, the only thing I could do was get into the presence of God because it was my lifeline. And although none of the miracles that I wanted to see happened, in that time, I learned that that voice could get me through absolutely anything. I learned in that time that no matter how much hell comes against me, I will love my beloved and my beloved will love me. Because all I had in that time, and I missed, I wish I could hook up to a lie detector test, but I actually missed that time. Because there was no favor. I was alone, but I had him and no other distractions. And the suffering was hard, and the pain was hard, and it was difficult, but I learned to behold him, and I learned to love him, and he loves me back. And my story is not a story of God like if you suffer well, all these good things will happen. But my story is a story of like, if you get into the presence of God, he will love you and use every situation for his good and for his glory. My story is not a story. I didn't see the, the reconciliation and the miracles that I want. And I know, and I know that I know that I know that it's not God's fault because I know in his heart, because I've spent so much time with him, I know that he wanted it as well. And so I just, yeah. He uses everything for his glory. He will work all things for good, for those who obey him, serve him. No, no, for those who love him. He will work all things for good to those who love him. Church, God loves you. No matter where you're at, no matter what storm is going your way, no matter how high the mountain, no matter how low the valley, no matter how bland your life is, you have a God seated in heaven who is looking to love you. And there is no angel, no demon, no height, nor depth, no mountaintop or low, no principalities or demons that can separate you from his love. Amen. And so you are a priest and he used all those crazy moments in my life to make me a priest for his own special possession. And he is doing the same thing in you and through you. You may be in a season where you're hidden away 
and you need to learn and you're supposed to hide and just be with him and be in the jail cell like Paul, you know, or maybe you are in a time where you can't hear that voice and you actually have to learn to love the church, the church to love you because good priests love the church because God cares about the church. Amen. So will you stand up? I just feel like uh, you can dim the lights if you can. Uh, it's like really simple. Like my, I just I want to like charge you, church, to suffer well. If you're in a season of difficulty, and if you're in a season of uh, challenge or trial or tribulation. Like, I just charge you in the name of Jesus to suffer well, because if you suffer, as you suffer well, his voice will pierce through, and you will be nurtured back to life. And I also charge you to be marked with curiosity. I feel this so from the Lord all week, that that living a life of curiosity of, oh my Lord, what are you doing in my life? Is actually going to, to disciple us in the spirit. If we could learn to live a life where you are constantly curious about what God is doing in your everyday ordinary life then you will be able to see him in realms in ways that you could have never fathomed. Because you and me, we are people of his voice. And so tonight, I just like, I just felt like the Lord wants to, yeah, he wants to activate people to hear his voice tonight. And uh, so you're, you're absolutely free to go after I pray, but I'm gonna have the prophetic ministry team come up right now. Um, but I just like feel so strongly that for me, the voice of God looked like Brent Lawson's family and my godmother's family, like in my trial of need. But I also remember like, God or like speaking so clearly. And I just believe that some of you, God's voice has been silent in your life, that you have not been able to hear him. And you've, you've told yourself, I'm not a prophetic person. I am not somebody good. I'm more pastoral. I can't hear his voice. That's not true. You are a people of his voice. And we're going to have, I just like, I just feel like God wants to break out in the prophetic and that he just wants to bring freedom and that he wants to bring joy and that he wants to awaken his bride to his voice. And so like, if you just need to hear his voice, I encourage you to come up. If you are in a season of trial and difficulty and suffering, then I want you to come up and I personally want to lay hands on you and impart faith and impart the journey of just like keep going on. So if you want to hear his voice, if you want to be activated in hearing his voice, come on up. And then if you're really just struggling, struggling, season of trial and difficulty. I'm going to grab a couple others and I just want to lay hands and bless you. Amen. Other than that, you're free to go. So Lord Jesus, we just, we love you. I thank you, Jesus, that you found this broken boy that was addicted to so many things, that was in so much pain. And you found me and you marked me and you loved me and you healed me and you nurtured me back to life. I thank you that no matter how far we run, you are there pursuing, 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 calling people home. And I believe and I stand full in faith for anybody who is massively struggling tonight with family dynamics. I just impart faith and belief that God will do super abundantly more than you could ever ask or imagine because he is a good and faithful God. And I just say over this church that there is no height, there is no depth, there is no principality, there is no demon, there is no trial, no tribulation that can separate you from the mighty love of God.
So we love you. We praise you and worship you. And all God's people said, amen. So if you just need prayer for anything, if you want to be activated in hearing his voice, or if you just like feel like as I was sharing my testimony, your own testimony came and started flashing in front of your eyes and you just want to respond and minister to him, come on up.